There you go. <laughs> Welcome back to Dangerous Rhetoric. This is episode 48. Welcome. I'm Dan. I'm Brentley. We used to do that more often. We used to like introduce ourselves and then we stopped doing it. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess, you know, um, people are still watching. Yeah. I presume they actually know who we are. But. but, you know, if you are still listening, thank you. Uh, remember, sub, comment, like, share, all those things really help us. Today, we are joined by a very special guest, Sarah Razi from New Jersey, who is the former New Jersey State Chair of the Young Americans for Liberty. And you are also part of the Future Female Leaders, correct? Yes. Yes. And you are graduating Rutgers University in 2023, right? Yeah. <laughs> so you're junior now? Yes, I'm a junior. Cool. Awesome. Welcome, Welcome to the show. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> no problem. Uh, we were recommended you actually by Cam, who we had on the show before, and he slipped into our DMs and he was like, hey, you guys need to talk to Sarah. You know, she the was a uh, connection. She's been shaking up the campuses over there and, and chanting F Joe Biden and stuff. And he's like, go talk to her. And I'm like, okay, you know, and that's a pretty high <laughs> recommendation. We like Cam, you know, he's very liberty minded. So we figured we would love to talk to someone like you. Um, so yeah, you know, tell us a bit about where your journey began, I guess, politically, um, maybe, sure. maybe even before you got involved in like actual activism and campaigning and that sort of thing. Yeah. So basically I became a libertarian, like minded conservative back in, um, when the pandemic hit. So basically we're talking about January to March 2020. So that is when everything in New Jersey started going downhill. So we had so many things happening. We had an economic shutdown. We had the lockdowns. We had all these mandates. And then we had the high-ass property taxes actually was raised within the time frame of March 2020. So in March 2020, like my property, like our house was taxed highly. And the attorney literally told us to stop paying taxes. And we're like, what do you mean? And the attorney's like, yeah, you have to stop paying taxes. The state is stealing from you. So I questioned that. I was like, what does that mean? And then, so I started reading into that. I'm like, I literally Googled, what does it mean if the state is stealing from you? Then freaking, I read on this Mises website. I forgot what it was. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then yeah, I, I figured just, out, I'm like, oh, taxation is theft. What does this mean? Yeah. So I started reading into it and I was like, holy shit i might be a libertarian but i don't know <laughs> yeah, we, so i guess that's how we definitely align with a lot of i guess libertarian type views but i don't know man like i was just tweeting earlier that i don't i don't like i never liked putting labels on my brain like i was always like that even when i was younger because i feel my my views are always in flux um especially politically but I forgot there's definitely like there's definitely categories of things where i can see oh where i align there with this more there with that more like some of my views some might consider conservative and some might be considered more socially liberal whereas i don't know am i a libertarian am i a classical liberal like i feel like it gets uh tiresome trying to put our brain in these boxes all the time but i understand why we have categories and labels to try to navigate the political landscape and the difference and beliefs that people have and how to approach yeah exactly like i don't like labeling myself either like i used to label myself as like like as a libertarian-minded Republican, but I hated that because in the New Jersey GOP, you have to be very, very careful what you label yourself. I mean, now I slightly became a bit more conservative after the mandates hit. So you I guess- Are you conservatarian? 
Yeah, I guess that's what I am. I don't I know. I'm that, a free thinker. Such an interesting term, conservatarian. When I first heard that, I'm like, hmm, fascinating. I think Christian Watson kind of describes himself as that. And I think uh, Olivia Rondau is, falls into that category. Olivia well. and I, we almost have the same exact um, philosophy. So, okay. yes, I'm very closely aligned with her, like what she believes in. So, interesting. We're definitely interested in talking to her. We'll reach out, see if we can get her on here. So, yeah. <laughs> so you were red pilled in a sense by the shutdowns and all of the vast changes we started seeing in society and, and the political landscape that kind of started to wake you up a bit. Yeah. Okay. And then how did it sort of manifest like for you personally, like as a, I guess you were a student at Rutgers at the time, right? Yeah, like no, actually, I went to a community college called Brookdale Community College at that time, and we were all online. So since I had nothing to do, I basically researched um, everything about libertarianism, and then I started getting involved with Yale back in August 2020. Then I guess it's so it sort of developed because I basically did a podcast with a few people that I knew and they were actually very, very conservative. And I was like, you know, the person I was trying to figure out herself, that was very, very radical. Like from the beginning, I've been pro legalization of all drugs. I've been pro ending the drug war. And I was pro like non-interventionism foreign policy, but I never really understood what I was until I actually talked to conservatives. And then that's when I realized I kind of became very radical but also kind of like conservative minded because I started like understanding these views and I actually was raised a conservative. So I kind of found my way back home. So I'm in the wake. I was yeah, asked about that a bit too, uh, your, your heritage. Oh yeah. So I'm Pakistani. Okay. Yeah. I was yeah. like, looks Persian. Definitely Persian. <laughs> yeah. I saw some pictures online, you in some very, very beautiful dresses. Um, you look Thanks. like my friend Uzma. She's, um, from Bengal, she's Beng- from Bengali, Bangladesh, sorry. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I'm from Pakistan, so. So you were raised conservative? Yes. Okay. Were your parents Republican or? Yeah, both of them actually are. My mom's like a tradcon and my dad's like a neocon, so. <laughs> yeah, I'm from like a family of Dems, so I'm from like. Oh, the you. <laughs> other side of the, of the perspective, but my grandma was always a very like open-minded kind of Democrat, and I think she voted Democrat more just out of like loyalty than anything, but uh, over the last few years, I worked on her a bit, and 2016, she uh, voted third party with me, <laughs> so I, I got her to like go against the two-party system, and then I think the last election, I think she sat it out. She was just so disillusioned with everything by that point. She didn't get a bother mailing. I don't even think she mailed her ballot out. Yeah. Oh shoot! Yeah. yeah, no, my parents they they've always been they've always voted Republican. Like, so they came here in 1995 from Pakistan. They immigrated, but then they were always Republicans because I always tell everyone um, immigrants are usually conservative, and here's the reason why: they want to come to America for the American dream and for a better life. But then they tend to lean democratically. They tend to vote democratic because they think that the Democrats actually help them, but they really don't. They take advantage of them. Yeah. So that's something I definitely found to be true, um, especially mm -hmm. over the last few years. And, and, you know, like you really observing the extreme changes we've seen over the last two years, and then the difference between, you know, the, how the red States and and the blue States handled a lot of this stuff. Um, But I don't know. I, I never fit you know, neatly into either category. So I think I'm kind of, we're more with you in the sense that we don't, we don't know exactly where we fit and we're figuring that out. I always identified as a liberal. Uh, I always leaned left, um, but I didn't like 
the major parties. I really didn't like the Republicans because I went to college during the Bush junior years when the neocons were basically pushing the war in Iraq and the war in Afghanistan. It was like war, 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 money, money, money. Same. Um, so that was kind of why initially I was very, you know, anti-Republican and very like pro-Democrat. And then it was during the Obama years that I noticed the change that all of a sudden those same pro-war voices, that same rhetoric, that same willingness to lie and deceive and emotionally manipulate, it made a change. Yeah. It became, to, it started to come from the left perspective. And that combination of having, you know, Obama in power at the same time as having all these sort of left-leaning uh, corporations, which, and it, I think also the, the left right paradigm in this country is sort of like, it, it's not, it's not real because we don't really have a liberal and conservative party. We have a caricature of both. It's like the, the Republicans as they are, aren't very conservative and they haven't been for a long time. And the Democrats aren't liberal. At least they're not classically liberal. They become this sort of illiberal communist yeah. sort of variant. It's, it's the opposite thing. of that. And yeah, the conservatives have not been doing very good of a job at conserving very many things. They haven't served anything yeah. they've, they've given up yeah, a lot exactly. of ground. <laughs> yeah so i you know i think that's why too a lot of people are kind of looking at the other options and we're i think we're seeing a rise in numbers of people who are aligning what with the libertarian what party and, and i at least i feel like i am in my observations i don't Sorry, know you needs attention apparently so i <laughs> want to ask a bit about the the political atmosphere on campus because you know, we're talking about your development. What brought you to the step where you decided I'm going to actually actively start to like do something, speak out, say something, you know, I've done protests when I was younger. Uh, you know, like Brian, I'm more from the left side traditionally, but even back then I was always skeptical. I never trusted the Republicans. And even under Obama, I was criticizing him and never voted for him either. I went to Occupy Wall Street. I observed all of that, you know, the political atmosphere on campuses when I was in school is definitely different now i think and it's not an easy thing to also get up you know in front of people and to hold the sign up and to put your views out there and say i stand with this so what brought you to that point yeah so i was this was like towards when i became a senior state chair so this was may 2020 um 2021 sorry and what happened was that back in March, I think it was March 15, 2021, my university, Rutgers, was the first university in the nation to mandate the COVID vaccine. I so we were the that. first one. Yeah. And I was pissed off. I was literally like, I was like, all right, I'm going to rage tweet. <laughs> so yeah, I, I rage did not tweet. have kind things to say either. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So I took it to Twitter and then, then Good Morning America founded my tweet speaking out about it. I said like something like, um, as a Rutgers University student, I'm incredibly ashamed of what's going on here. Vaccines should not be mandated. It should be voluntary. And then Good Morning America found my tweet and messaged my former regional director, Haley Gray, at the time. And wow. she asked, hey, can I get Sarah on the show? And she was, and then my, and then my former RD was screaming. She's like, oh my God, Sarah, they want you on Good Morning America. And I was nice. like, well, what? And then, <laughs> <laughs> why like, someone cares about what i have to say yeah, yeah that's exactly what i was thinking i'm like why me they're like because you go to school here and i was like oh shit all right guess we're going on tv but then i guess what happened was that 
like after that I was like we have to do something because yes you can go on tv but the thing is we must remember that the media is only access mm-hmm. it's not how you really do change you want to do change you have to put yourself out there so what I did I basically it was this Facebook recruiting I found like a group of people called New Jersey stands up and at that time I was involved I mean, I was the leader of my Yale chapter on campus, and I was also the leader of the Turning Point USA chapter on campus. So I basically got TPUSA together, I got Yale together, I got New Jersey Stands Up, which is another organization in New Jersey that is against all these medical mandates. And then I organized a 600-person rally that was held on May 21st, 2021. And I read about today, actually, I was like, oh, yeah, that's a big rally. That's awesome. You know, I commend you for that. And thank you. It it takes a lot of guts, especially in uh, today's cancel culture type atmosphere to put yourself out there. But particularly, I feel like when you're a quote unquote minority and you break away from the woke type ideology. And I was going to, you know, ask a little bit about that, too, like how Mm -hmm. you how you've handled that, how people have treated you, you know, are you called a traitor? Brett and I were commonly called traitors to the LGBT movement <laughs> because we uh, have a lot of criticism. the gays. We critique a lot of things and, you know, we don't totally align with the gay token that they want us to be. And typically we get cast out and called a lot of horrible things. How dare you, Daniel? Yeah. Yeah, I was actually called a fascist once. Like when I was, it was crazy. Like me, a fascist. Like I'm protesting its mandates. Like what is wrong? That's the opposite of fascism. Right. Anyway, were you called a white nationalist yet? No, I was called. I've been called anti-Semitic. I've been called, like, yeah, I've been called anti-Semitic. I've been called a terrorist. I've been called a terrorist sympathizer. They called (laughs) every single name in the book because. I was called a terrorist sympathizer because I basically did an article. I did an interview with Al Jazeera. Okay. So, yeah, people call me a terrorist sympathizer. Wow. So basically, it's the same yes. Fox. Like as soon as you do an interview with Fox, it's like it, it doesn't matter. You're automatically like put in a box by some of these people. That's like wow. yeah, you went to Fox, and it's like what they don't understand is even though a lot of people who go on Fox aren't right-leaning or conservatives fox becomes one of the only places that'll like talk to them about some of these things the new normal crap and will push back against it at all so a lot of people who say might not be republican end up going on fox to talk about these things but then as soon as they do that the people who are on like the democrat liberal side or whatever you're scum to them you know for sure like take a look at nancy mace for example like she went on i think she went on cnn to talk about nancy sorry what Nancy Mace, she's a senator. No, oh. she's not a senator, sorry. She's like a state rep, sorry. I'm not familiar, sorry. Oh, that's okay. So she- I found her. Yeah, Nancy Mace went on CNN and everyone like in the conservative movement was just bitching on her because she went to CNN. She talked about like why people should get vaccinated because, you know, she's pro-vaccinated for a Republican. And that's a big deal in the GOP right now because you have 90% of the GOP that's like very anti-mandate and then, then there's a small percentage that is pro-vaccine, but anti-mandate. Hmm. So. It, it's, they, God, it's, the country yeah. is such a mess right now. It's, it's so weird. It's we have so to like, dumb. break down yeah. with all these little like. Yeah, well, it's like, it's like, say people like Tulsi who are Democratic, right? They're Democrats, but they, uh, they're anti-mandate. So they get cast out by their Democrat pals. Um, yeah. Yeah. Really yeah. Bizarre. So she's like, so she's pro-vaccine, but anti-mandate or she's pro-mandate? 
She's pro-vaccine, but anti-mandate. Gotcha, gotcha, yeah. Apparently, she's also against the prohibition of marijuana. Good for her. Yeah, she's got a, <laughs> uh, a bill coming up that is, you know, designed to end the government. The shout fact. out to Nancy Mays. <laughs> yeah, shout out Nancy Mays. Hey, hey. So awesome. you organized, I'm going to get back to this now. All right, so you organized a protest. You got yes. like 600 people to come. Uh, was this before or after you were on Good Morning America? This was after. After, okay. So you did that. And what were the results of that? Like, So number one, we got a lot of backlash. And also at the rally, I tweeted a picture yesterday that was of me at that rally. And what happened was that in, in the part, that's the bureaucrat that actually walked up to me. And what happened was that during the rally was happening, I was in the middle of an interview with, yeah, Fox was interviewing me. And then this bureaucrat walked up and he said, are you Sarah Razi? And I'm like, yeah, who are you? And he's like, I'm with student affairs. You're violating this policy. I, if you do not stop this protest, I'm going to have to end it myself. Hmm. <laughs> this one? Yes. Yeah, that's the bureaucrat in the blue shirt. <laughs> he's, it's just, I love the picture too, because he's so like massive and like huge and like tall and like, you're just like this small little woman. Just like <laughs> I love how this has become sort of also like the based filter face <laughs> like i've seen a lot of people you know from like the liberty you know uh even it's a call like liberty-minded people that have that use this filter and yeah. like sort of thing to but sorry so yeah, backlash did you did you lose any friends you know did how have your family also responded wait i want to, to hear the end of the too. story yeah. keep going like, what oh, okay. like what? i promise the end of the story ties into the backlash okay. so what happened was that he walks up to me he said and like, I'm going to shut this rally down if you do not like stop using sound tech. It was over sound tech. So we had a microphone and a whole sound system being used uh, at this rally. So they're trying to and use I was like, loophole. Was there like a rule against that on campus? Um, apparently not. So if you look, if you research the Rutgers guidelines, it does allow that you can use sound tech unless you can only use it if it's approved by the dean the dean did not approve it okay apparently so then the dean basically was like yeah you guys gotta shut down this protest and we're like what the fuck so then i was like what happens if i don't comply sir and then four officers fucking surround me right and then one has their hand on a fucking holster oh i'm just god. like i'm gonna fucking die i'm gonna die today oh like, i swear god. to god <laughs> wow <laughs> And then I was like, I still stood my ground because I'm like, yeah, no, gotta be fucking brave. And I was like, I was like, sorry, sir, I'm not complying today, but I'll let you speak to the attorney. So the attorney was, we also brought over an attorney for a reason. So then the attorney and the co-organizer of the protest actually talked to them and they stood their ground. Like they were like, oh, if Rutgers yell, if Sarah Razi of Rutgers yell does not comply, then there will be consequences. Hmm. And they're like, yeah, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happened so they didn't arrest you they were about to i they think about like to. So yeah this is uh this is something too i think that is worth touching on you know because when we, when we saw a lot of the lefty tantrum protests happening over 2020 summer people you know freaking out that people were getting arrested after breaking curfew and things like that what a lot of folks forget is like that's part of protesting like you are deliberately breaking the rules of the law in some way i'm not saying break things to hurt people but say breaking curfew or occupying a space civil and, disobedience civil, and, and you know you're going to get arrested so you don't resist you you let them arrest you that's part of the statement you're making you handed a law in the station you get out later and do whatever you got to do right continue your civil disobedience 
Um, but then you see like these lefties and they'll, they'll throw tantrums and then they're like, oh my God, why are the cops attacking them in this way or treating them this way? It's like, well, they're resisting arrest. They, and I'm not saying that, you know, cops should be allowed to be brutal, but what I'm saying is if you're a protester, know what you're getting yourself into, you know, you could be arrested. This is part of, part of the process. And some want to, some deliberately put themselves there. I remember Occupy Wall Street, um, there's a very famous photo actually of a protester with like, you know, his hands tied behind his back, he's cuffed and his legs are crossed and he's like being carried out and he looks like just really like Zen, you know, no fighting, no resistance, you know, that was, he knew that that was part of the deal and that was what they wanted, you know, like, hey, we're deliberately defying this, we could get arrested. Well, and it's funny so, because yeah. you guys were having a, you know, peaceful protest, you're being, maybe being a little loud because you had some uh, sound equipment, but it was, you know, it was peaceful. It was totally legitimate. It was an expression. Mm -hmm. uh, and they tried to shut that down. Whereas when it comes to, you know, like some crazy violent protests, like what we had over the summer, you know, that is sort of tolerated or excused. You know, AOC had that very famous line about saying how protests are supposed to make you feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And then Andrew Cuomo was like, oh, I don't know where it says uh, protests are supposed to be peaceful. And it's like, dude you're in the united states like it's in the first amendment like you're in an office too a high office in the united states don't you don't know this on andrew cuomo yeah so <laughs> it's just it's 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 fucking crazy so they didn't arrest you it didn't arrest mm -hmm. you what what happened afterward though did you get backlash say from the from the dean beyond that reprimanded in any way did you lose friends how did your family you know respond to this so yeah, my family members were pissed. They're like, well, Sarah, what were you thinking? Like, are you anti-vax? I lost a lot of friends due to it too. Like I remember everyone thought I was anti-vax. The funny thing is I'm not, I actually got the COVID vaccine. I got Pfizer and I was, and then like when that was announced, everyone was like, what? Like, they're like, but you protested. Like, did you just go against your own word? I'm like, no, because that is the emphasis. That is the main importance of medical freedom. Medical freedom is allowing people to make their own decisions on what they want to do with their body in regards to medical treatment. It's like they, they can't compute that someone could possibly hold those two views in their head. Like, wait, you chose to get the shot, but you agree someone else has the right to not do it? What? It's like, yeah, that's a problem with the right, too, that we should also talk about. Like, the right has problems if someone gets vaccinated they're like don't get vaccinated oh my god you're going to not get pregnant you're going to die like what is wrong with uh, you because our, our approach with that has always been uh we still don't quite know that's always yeah. been our approach uh you know m mrna vaccines are new uh in regards to how we're doing this we've never mass vaccinated people in this way the way that we're doing it we don't quite mm -hmm. know what the repercussions of this are going to be in the future so brett and i have always just taken the cautionary approach that you know tell people what the risks are and if there are risks be honest about it and then let people make their decisions accordingly but it's when we start hiding the data that we can't get real answers you know how much damage could this cause say in regards to infertility or, you know, that sort of thing. But there is something, How can we there know is something to be said, honest? but there's still something to be said for correcting the more hysterical anti-vax I agree. Perspective. Yeah, 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 sure, sure. And I don't think people should just, you know, be telling people, oh, you, oh, you got the shot, you're going to die. You're going to get sick. How is that going to help us? I think our approach should always be, oh, you got the shot. Well, I hope you're fine. 
you know, I hope it works out. I hope there are no complications later. And we see, right? We wait and we observe, and hopefully this isn't going to turn into something bad like that. Well, so far, what we see is that most people are fine, and you have a small minority that have yeah. terrible, debilitating side effects yeah. or, or pass away shortly thereafter. I just feel like we can't yeah. get a handle on how small or large that minority actually is. No, we can't. We're not allowed. Won't, they won't let us. They won't We're not let us actually look at this and talk about it, you know, freely. So. But we have to be very careful here on exactly. YouTube. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> yeah. They really should allow us to honestly question. This is what I've been saying from the beginning. If we if we are not allowed to question science, then it's not actual science. The the entire theory of science, like I used to be a pre-med major, so I know this. Like I've done experiments and stuff. I've done, I even almost made mustard gas one time. That's another funny story that I did. But like what I'm saying is that the whole basis of science is to create a hypothesis and to be able to question it, test it, experiment, make observations. We're not doing that. We're not fucking doing that because you're not allowing people to question it. Right. If you're not allowing people to question it, then you are not a scientist. You are a fucking fraud. Yeah. Look at what's happening with Joe Rogan now, you know, and the whole controversy over, over that. It's like, yeah, the guy can't even have contrarian scientists on who are scientists and it's like oh they say trust the experts just not those experts our yeah experts. just not those experts <laughs> forget that this guy you know see, had a hand in developing this type of shock matter. tech it's it doesn't a, matter to the them. whole like, point the whole the whole point with the way that they're manipulating information is that they have their narrative and if you are not conforming to the narrative today mind you because the narrative changes keeps changing uh, if you're not conforming today then you are considered the enemy and they will unleash you know all kinds of character assassination like this the, the assault on joe rogan is actually like a really interesting case study to observe what happens when a popular voice or a popular uh you know media personality ends up contradicting the establishment because what we've seen not is not just contradicting but being an actual threat well he's being an actual threat because of the size of his audience yep. you know it, they have you know, they're they're turning the heat up on him you know first it was they were upset about you know like the misinformation and that word is just so mind-boggling yeah, to and me who gets to determine what that is but we live in like, you know, the post fact checker era, which I also, the, the fact that we have fact checkers and like fact checking is like an actual thing really blows my mind because we are all fact checkers. We all have that independent yeah. capability. To me, it's exactly all, like saying, it's also, it's, it's patronizing. It's like treating people like you're all too stupid to think for yourselves, to make your own mind up about anything. So well and that's that's why check. they're that's why they're now now we're attacking now they move from misinformation to uh to racism to, you know attacking him because he used the n-word you know and is in like a context where he was like either making a joke or explaining why the term was offensive or something yeah meanwhile joe biden can do it and it's well joe biden and mean it there's there's clips about joe biden using the n-word in a very derogatory hard and, and er too very not okay yeah. manner yikes it's, it's yeah no like it's very strange and if we all know if that was orange man it'd be everywhere it'd be everywhere <laughs> everyone would be talking about it that clip would be everywhere yeah and exactly like with, with what's happened broken that something happened to me in october at our second rally so it was so crazy so um at our second rally we did against the mask mandates we had a whole petition out we had everything and basically that the Rutgers university community like community they are it's so cancerous there because these leftists they they want this mask mandate they want mask mandate but the thing is i never really understood why they wanted it 
And later on, it took me time to realize why they wanted it. It was because they want to do anything they can to be back in person. You know, it kind of makes sense because and I and and I do I do feel for them. You know, and I sympathize with the students, and I think they've been getting this really hard, probably harder in certain ways than other people have, and especially the younger ones. I don't blame them. You know, this is what they do. They take your freedoms from you and then they can dangle the carrot and say, you want, you want that back? Just do this. Do this. They, they blame, you know, the anti-mask yes, and then they the, blame us. the anti-vaccine people. They're the reason we can't go back to normal. Like this type yeah. of language too. Like think about this type of language. It's ridiculous. You see the same thing with the trucker, uh, the trucker situation yeah. right now in Canada is yeah. that they're, they're sort of blaming with like, you see all this, all these accusations and castigations directed at the truckers when, you know, really what they're protesting is mandates. You know, they want to be able to, you know, go to a restaurant, go to the movies, live their life normally in their own country. (laughs) Not, not something crazy or radical, pretty freaking simple, actually. That's radical. Exactly. We also experienced lots of backlash at that second rally. So I remember like, that's when I actually became a threat to the establishment. And the establishment was not the administration, but it was the very, very leftist organization on campus called RU Progressives. And they had a problem with me because A, I'm a minority woman. Mm. That basically, that that's basically not like most Republicans around here. Like I'm like, like basically I became the extreme threat to the establishment. You don't fit the narrative. You don't fit. I the don't. <laughs> the same I really us. don't. It's the same with us. We don't fit the narrative. And they don't like they don't. They hate it. They absolutely hate it. Then they use it against us. They call they wrote a petition against me calling me anti-Semitic. They wrote and then that petition, they tried to defund our organizations on campus. Obviously, they lost, but it was ridiculous. Like that entire part of the semester was probably the worst for me because I was doxxed. I was harassed on campus. Like, wow. yeah, there was a guy that almost punched me at the rally. Like it wow. was wow. insane. My God. So like, and the way it was, like, I mean, I honestly do not want to become violent, but the left made it violent. Yeah, they bring the violence. That's a part this of the problem. They brought the violence. Perfect segue into firearms. And from what I understand, yes. you are very pro 2A, correct? <laughs> Hell yeah. Talk about that. A bit. <laughs> uh, was that a position you always held, or is that also something that has developed more recently over the last two years? It was developed over the last two years. In fact, I was actually, I used to be very, very anti-Second Amendment until I realized I'm like, like the way it was to me, is like, honestly, who cares what I carry? Who cares if you carry something as long as you want to, as long as it makes you feel safe? Because at the end of the day, like, for example, take a look at big universities like Virginia Tech, Rutgers, um, anything that you can name. A lot of these girls cannot protect themselves on campus when they're walking alone at night. That's why girls carry pepper spray. But these universities ban pepper sprays. Like, it's absolutely ridiculous. They don't, they so, don't realize how much harm that is actually doing, you know? Yeah, they don't. And that's why I feel like it's important. Like, guns rights are women's rights. Guns rights are everyone's rights. 100%. And yeah, that's why, like, I mean, I carry a pocket knife and I carry, like, a taser. And I also carry, like, a pepper spray. Because I can't carry on campus. Because, you know, New Jersey fucking sucks. But yes. like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no. they as, are as, terrible on guns. Yeah. Someone from New Jersey, I can attest to that. And I don't know, you know, I will always love New Jersey. Oh, right. There was the story though. <laughs> about, things I love about there's, it. There's, but... there's, a, there's a story that I remember. I can't remember the, the, the woman's name, but she was like driving across the Ben Franklin Bridge. You know, she's going to Jersey for a reason. 
She had her concealed carry permit in Pennsylvania. She had her firearm in her car. Uh, and she gets pulled over for like speeding or something. And I guess she was a little nervous. And so she admitted to having the firearm. Well, that was a big mistake. And this cop was like just the most vindictive, like mean spirited, looking to uh, complicate and make difficult this poor woman's life. It triggered like a whole series of, you know, her being charged with you know, all these, all these weapons charges and things when, you know, the cop could have just easily just said, you know, sorry, man, you're not allowed to have that here. You should probably go right back across the bridge. But instead they made her life a living hell. And I think that's sort of emblematic of how New Jersey authorities treat people with firearms. You know, they don't see legitimate firearms holders or people looking to defend themselves. They just see criminals. And that's a big problem because it clashes with our Second Amendment rights. Yeah, which I think one of the arguments here too is it's, it does go back to sort of the state's rights, federal rights thing too. Like, should each state have the right to regulate guns in the way they do? Or should that actually be like a federal issue where we have a federal standard of how to handle and regulate guns? And we don't have that, you know? And I'm not saying that would be a good or a bad thing, but... Well, it's interesting because we don't, you don't have your free speech restricted in certain states. Yeah. Brent and I are also very 2A. So we, we, we That's agree awesome. with the <laughs> And, you know, I think the points you made are very important, relevant points, um, especially in regards to women. And when you look at how many women are victims of a violent physical assault of some sort, like it makes you wonder, like how many of these women, if they had been at least armed in some way, could have stopped that oh it's so, like armed and trained you know yeah. in order to use a firearm yeah, effectively you have sure. to have training you have to have practice i agree but you, you know familiar familiarity but like making it more difficult for the everyday average person to do that it it costs lives you know and that's an interesting way to look at it but i think there, there's definitely truth to it and if you take a look at cities like newark like you would know like crime is really high there how do we stop crime we basically let people carry guns because the ultimate a huge huge source of crime is people not being able to defend themselves and then boom they get like killed or something if someone carries a gun they're able to protect themselves but you know the state the establishment doesn't want that and they infringe upon our rights every single day and that is a major major problem with the new Jersey establishment including republicans that we have as our representatives they're actually very anti-2a like as well, like take a look at Chris Smith in my district, CD4. Chris Smith, I hope he gets ousted because he's a fucking progressive in Republican clothing and everyone, everyone can't stand him. Primary him. Yeah. Oh my God, CD4 is going to be so messy. Like, I don't know <laughs> who I'm going to support. I love them all. I think uh, not enough people realize just how much gun regulation really affects regular people more than anyone because criminals are criminals. That's why they're criminals. They break the law. So obviously they're going to break the law to get a gun. These, yeah. these laws, none of this has any effect on them at all. It's not going to stop them from getting a weapon and using it to do whatever they need to do. What it affects is it affects people like us who aren't criminals um, from being able to stop a criminal from doing these things to us. So, but it's... Well, so criminals yeah. are going to be emboldened by the fact that yes. they know that people are unarmed. Yeah. If you live in a state like Texas or a constitutional carry state where you know that somebody might be armed, you're going to be a lot less likely yeah. to try to mug them or to pull some shenanigans because you know that in the back of your mind, oh, geez, there's a possibility yeah. that that person may have a firearm. Basically, basically what Sarah was saying, you know, it's a deterrent. It's it, a deterrent, yeah. 
totally literally yes yeah all right all right so back to i guess the activism stuff the new normal stuff i wanted to talk a little more about just what the campus life is like there you know you said it's very lefty i don't think that's a surprise you know it is it is new jersey it is college and new jersey um you know, are there other conservative groups there, not just like libertarian, but are there like Republican groups there who say ally with you in any way against the mandates? Or are you like a lone wolf there fighting against this stuff? Because I don't know very many students in New Jersey standing up right now against that. Yeah, there's many problems when it comes to standing up for your own rights. Like I have experiences as a leader when I've organized these rallies here, it's hard to find students, especially our first rally was very, very successful because the left was not on campus. But once the left is on campus, they dominate the entire campus. So that's majority of the students. So um, what happened was that I do have allies. So I'm I'm in TPSA and there's also Yale. Um, there's also the pro-life org on campus and there's also YAF. We have our allies. It's just there's lots of infighting within the right as of right now, because YAF is being run by, you know, the, those that lean neoconservative. What's and, YAF? Uh, Young America? Oh, Young America's Foundation. Okay. And so there's, so you're saying there's infighting, like, can you give us, give us some examples? Like, what's, oh, God. Them on Twitter, Brian. Oh, uh, well, yeah, but we can just <laughs> talk about it. They just, okay, so they were part of the Turning Point chapter, but then um, basically they formed a coup to overthrow one of my friends. Everything's solved now but everything's okay now. But basically they formed their own little chapter. They're not getting anywhere. Like you don't see them tabling. You don't see them doing anything. They have zero membership. So they basically got what they deserve because they tried to overthrow my friend. But our chapter for TPSA is very, very strong right now. And so is Yao because I basically was there and I basically mobilized all these people to, you know, get up and start fighting. I, I basically got membership like four times this semester. So Basically, yeah, we have YAF, we have the pro-life chapter, but the strongest conservative libertarian leaning organization on campus are YAL and USA. And we align together on a lot. Like, yeah, we collabed a lot. We actually, our chapters actually get along a lot. That's good. Yeah. You know, I feel like conservatives tend to align on like the big issues when it comes to like abortion and like liberty um and especially with like the mandates it seems like a lot of you know like i feel as a classical liberal that i am allied with a lot of conservatives because we have you know that sort of freedom perspective and it's something that it, it sucks that that's kind of gone from the left like i don't i feel like you know like they just basically anybody who's freedom-minded they sort of just pushed out they, they, <laughs> they've alienated all the moderates yeah they, they have exactly what we're seeing they alienated everyone and they have honestly been leaning more left ever since the pandemic like it is absolutely ridiculous how they are using the pandemic as an excuse to basically get away with what they're doing it's ridiculous and they're like oh now we have omicron we have to mandate these boosters which is fucking stupid i mean i believe that if actually someone is fully fiber vaccinated they shouldn't they, the booster should be recommended not mandated like it makes no sense to keep mandating and mandating and mandating and whole withdrawing someone's education yeah. so it's i feel like the left was yeah. actually very oh, i'm sorry i feel like the left was actually very tolerant back in the 70s or the 80s because they were pro-free speech they were pro like ending the wars it was different it was so different it was so then. different <laughs> yeah i feel like the libertarians actually would actually be siding with more of the leftists back in the 70s than the right that's why i think people need to look a bit past that paradigm you know especially in this current 
fight, if the point is to resist this totalitarian new normal shit, I don't think you have to align with a particular party or anything of that sort. The way I see it is if you support my right to not get this injection because I don't need it and I can still live my life and I have the rights that you write, we're on the same side. You know, I don't yeah. care if you voted Democrat or Joe Biden at this point. Don't give a shit. I don't care if you voted Trump. Don't care. Are you pro-liberty? And that that's where we need to find those people and from wherever side they come. The infighting, that's that's not gonna help, man. It's gonna, it's definitely gonna they're gonna keep power in places like New Jersey because of that. There's gonna be no unified force against them that can like really get some of those moderates back on board and maybe get them off the fence to to fight a bit alongside you guys. But they're afraid. People don't want to get canceled, they don't want to lose their friends, and they they don't want to be put into some box or whatever and i think people are also afraid to to argue to defend their position they know it takes a lot of energy and yeah exactly another main problem that i've seen is like a lot of these right-leaning students on campus they don't want to stand up they don't want to fight and i feel like when i basically was the student that basically stood up against first university to mandate the covid vaccine that inspired a lot of people not only conservatives or, or libertarians around the nation but my co-staters as well, my friends. And then then basically from my fight of Rutgers, that inspired Yale to create the Students' Rights Campaign Program, which which is basically where you hold where you hold these administrations accountable for these unconstitutional policies. And these policies could be vaccine mandates, mask mandates, pepper spray ban, marijuana ban, all that crazy shit. And you basically create a petition, you circulate these signatures, you basically circulate the petition to get the signatures, you organize a rally, you deliver the petitions, and then you put pressure on the administration. So because of my fight at Rutgers, that inspired the students' rights campaign at Yale. And this also inspired lots of students to start standing up. Then TPSA started standing up for their own schools. Like there is a field rep, her name, shout out to Emily Talento. I know about her. She is the New York field rep, I believe. And she organizes a protest at Stony Brook University against the vaccine mandates. Like all these organizations, they started standing up once they saw our fight at Rutgers. And I feel like I led like a chain reaction yeah. on all this stuff. I told everyone, you have to start standing up. It's nuts how that works though. How, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Or something, you know, seemingly small decision that you you make can just have that sort of ripple effect and you know really shake people up it's good to see though like so do you know of any other schools like in new jersey that that are having any organized events or protests of this sort i'm out of the loop i haven't been there and a lot of people from my hometown don't talk to me anymore and stuff so um i'm curious like what kane is is like right now or you know like, like princeton like is there any resistance beyond just Rutgers? Basically, no. I mean, there was, there is a small resistance at Fairleigh Dickinson, but the current state chair of New Jersey, um, the current NJ state chair, Dave Logic, he is not, like, he's taking off the semester for his classes, so he cannot run that resistance. But there are small resistances. It's just people are too scared to stand up. And that makes sense because we're, we're in a very, very blue democratic state. It's hard. And, but we still have the resistance at Rutgers. But what I am doing now is that since I'm out of Yale, I'm basically taking whatever I learned and putting it against the state. Because as of right now, we have a statewide mask mandate for K-12. We're going to push against it. We, this week, we're launching a petition, and then we're going to organize a rally. And then we're going to basically hold it at Trenton. We're going to hold these bureaucrats who, who basically push this policy on, on our kids. 
accountable. We're going to hold them accountable and we're delivering petitions. So this is the way to do it. Yes. Yeah. Cause we're like, go fuck yourself, Murphy. Like go fuck yourself. These establishment. God, I've (laughs) just thinking about him makes me. No, I'm, I'm strongly of the perspective that masking children is child abuse. Um, yeah, because we've we've been at, you know, very loud about that. It's, it's not necessary for them. They face very low risk from the coof and it's, it, it does cause like people, people don't seem to understand that wearing the mask does have a cost. Like there is harm that is done to certain people, especially, you know, kids in certain developmental stages, learning facial cues, you know, and we already had a sort of bit of a problem with, you know, growing numbers of autistic and Asperger's and kids on the spectrum. This is only going to exacerbate that problem. And there's not really a whole lot of discussion of that and, and how the emotional intelligence and the socialization of our young people is sort of just being put on the back burner. It's being delayed. You know, it was two weeks to stop the spread. And here we are two years later, and there's still all of these mandates, you know, whether it's a mask or an injection it's 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 unreasonable it's not helpful and it's i think it's causing more more harm than it is good at this point i I saw i saw a video a couple days ago i don't remember who it was it was a a school board representative can't remember what state but he was talking about um having like two-year-olds wear masks to like condition them to get used to it more when they're in school later so you gotta like prime the kid when they're younger before they go to school to get used to wearing the masks so they'll keep it on this shit is nuts it is absolutely bizarre and it's crazy that like to state that is controversial that like kids shouldn't be walking around seven hours a day with a thing over their face when they're not at a high risk from this sickness who died i don't know any kids who died of this it just seems weird to you that this is like a conservative quote-unquote position like i don't understand why having kids unmasked and letting parents and individuals make choices about their medical, uh, you know, medical interventions that they're going to choose to do. Why is, why is all of a sudden this seen as the conservative thing when it's, it it doesn't, it's not, it's not conservative. Like I don't, I I don't see that perspective as having to be strictly right wing or left wing. And, you know, I think if more people looked at it in that way, perhaps we'd get somewhere with this shit. I mean, I guess only in the sense that sort of leftists tend to be in favor of using the government to enforce, uh, you know, social policy in order to affect a change. Whereas, you know, right people on the right tend to be more conservative and they like small government and less government interference. But it just it just seems to me that this is not even like at that level because the because the interventions that they want to to make, you know, not only like offer, but like make mandatory are not as effective as they claim. And that's a big part of a problem when you're trying to make a a mandate, a mandated policy that everyone must like if you're going to do something like that, it's got to at least work. Right. What's crazy is they they want us to prove it doesn't work. When we were talking to Changizi, right? And that's what, not how that's, that's not how this works. That's not how it works. They have you to prove, yeah. have to prove it you're works. Because you're making an argument for an intervention, you have to demonstrate that your intervention yes. works. That's yes. like the medical standard. If you're gonna make exactly huge, broad societal changes and implement these really big drastic policies, it is up to you to demonstrate to us that these work and aren't gonna cause more harm than what they are intended. Right, it is not our job to prove it doesn't work. Sarah, when do you graduate? 
Oh, I graduate um, spring 2023, so a year. Oh, so you've got plenty of time to shake it up hot and make yourself remembered. (laughs) That's what I'm doing. I mean, what I realized is that a lot lot with these state schools, the reason why they're not letting go of these mandates is because they follow everything that the state does. And the state, New Jersey, follows everything what Biden does. So that's what we're seeing right now. So I was like, I was thinking outside the box. I'm like, okay, these mandates at these universities are not going to end because they're not going to give in even with student resistance. And I'm like, all right, they followed the direction of the politics. All right, fuck up the politics. Basically hold a rally at Trenton, hold these people accountable, deliver these petitions and make them fucking cry. And if they resist, then okay, we'll organize a phone bank because right now I have all their numbers in a Google spreadsheet. I'm ready to go. So (laughs) we are ready to hold these people accountable. So they have to wait. People Love need it. to yeah. see it too. That's another thing. They need they need to see that not everyone is okay with this. And I think yeah. if we don't have what you're talking about, more of that kind of happening, petitions, people gathering, like holding these folks accountable, they're just everyone else is gonna assume that everyone's just okay with this. And I guess, you know, New Jersey yeah. is just that's how New Jersey is, right? It's like, no, dude, it's not. It's New Jersey, despite being blue, is still a diverse place. And there are a lot of people from Jersey who live in Jersey who don't agree with this shit. Exactly. There is a lot. They're just not mobilized. And the reason why they're not mobilized is because the state is not a lost cause. It's my home. And I know very directly it's not a lost cause. I live in the most conservative district in New Jersey, which is Congressional District 4. That's Monmouth County. And it is how and that gives me hope. And when I organized my first rally at Rutgers back in May, I felt hope. I felt like I felt like the state could change. And we don't want to give up on that. And if we give up on that, then that's how we become an absolute lost cause. If we stop giving up, like, no, if we, like, start giving up, that's a lost cause. Like, if the conservative and the libertarians start giving up on New Jersey and start moving to Florida, then you are letting it become a lost cause. It's not a lost cause. You need to fight for it. Yeah, that's a good point. I agree. I mean, we're we're in Florida right now, but (laughs) we definitely uh, never (laughs) stopped fighting for it. But uh, our situation was uh, rather complicated and our options were kind of limited. So it was. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> it was like, you know, stay and be stuck or leave and, you know, have an opportunity to actually develop yourself in your, in your life. But yeah, when you, when you don't have the shot, it, it complicates things um, job wise over there, uh, and especially in New York City. It's still complicating so, my job hunt oh right now. Gosh. And what's crazy is, you know, <laughs> as authoritarian as New Jersey actually is, it's nuts that people from New York City are crossing the water to go to New Jersey to eat. Yeah, so. it's absolutely crazy. Like, New York is even worse than New Jersey right now. Take a look at these vaccine mandates in New York City. I mean, it is absolutely ridiculous. You will, I don't know if these mandates are still in place because I haven't been keeping up with it, but they're like, they're like, oh, you need to get vaccinated. You need to show your vaccine passports in order to eat in New York City. So if you're not vaccinated, you can't eat in New York City? Yeah. Same goes for um, D.C. There's a couple neighborhoods from what I understand that aren't really enforcing it. And we know this because we still have a lot of friends who who are over there and living through this stuff. But in like Manhattan, it's, yeah, it's definitely enforced most places from what I understand, especially in our neighborhood uh, in Hell's Kitchen, which was where we were living. Exactly. That is the main, main problem. Like here, these mandates, I'm sorry, but these mandates are not going to stop unless people stand up and say no. But you need to do it in an effective way because rallies, yeah, you can hold a rally, but that's not going to do anything. You need pressure on the establishment. 
Like yeah. establishment is just going to laugh at you if you're just with the crowd speaking up against it. But if you really want to hold them accountable, organize a petition, write that petition out, circulate it, and then deliver these petitions. And for March, if you have to at this rally, make the rally into a march to yeah. the office that's or the Capitol that's installing these mandates. Hold them accountable like that. And if they say, fuck you, then tell them to go fuck themselves and do a phone bank. Yeah. And keep or putting on that pressure. You just, That's how you, you find you find other ways, you know. But I do agree, and you made an interesting point too. You know, you have to do more than just like protest and like wave a sign. Like I think when people think of activism, because of the 1960s and 70s, and especially the 60s, and because of how necessary, I guess those types of actions were at that time. People think that's like the only way to protest that you just you gather and you have a rally and you wave signs around. There are so many other ways, man. How you spend your money is a good example. You know, what you spend your money on. That's a poor strict civil disobedience. Like I was seeing videos of like, I mean, I don't know if y'all chapter students, but some turning point chapters, the high schoolers actually are committing civil disobedience in the gymnasiums. They're not wearing a mask. They get locked in. And they're all locked in. These are all conservative, libertarian-minded people. Oh, High yeah. school. I saw that yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was crazy. Then they, I heard that the rumor was also that they turned off the heat. Yes. <laughs> they they turned off the, the heat. and turned off the heat. Yeah. Ridiculous. Then the police ended up showing up and they Absurd. were like, everything here is fine. And they just tried to make it go away because they didn't want to hold. You know, these schools are very afraid of any sort of focused media attention or any focused virality on them. There's a lot of uh, a, lo a lot of fear, I think, especially, and then this is what comes from these lefties. They have this fear of being exposed or being not accepted by their group all the time, and it just it's it's really funny that that's how they manifest it. They kind of like cause it on them on the cause it to themselves. Um, yeah, but that that type of polarization on a high school campus is. It's, it's toxic. It's, it's weird. It's new. You know, it's not something I'm used to on college campuses. Sure. But seeing this sort of thing now where, where high school students, middle schoolers have to be the one to stand up. Like, a, like I've seen little girls, you know, speak out against their school boards and say, I'm not wearing this mask. You can keep suspending me as much as you want. Teenagers, not little girls. I've seen like a freaking like 12 year old speaking on a podium saying well, I, I, I should there's a very that. eloquent i think uh 16 year old who spoke recently yeah, in a virginia thing that went viral my point is like it's just it's nuts that these kids have to be in a position where they even have to do that you know it, exactly it should, they're it just not kids they're just kids they're supposed to be being kids having their childhood they're not supposed to be the ones saying like uh hello why do you keep making me wear this thing on my face every day i i can't I don't want to do it anymore. Why are you doing this to me? The adults are supposed to be the ones saying this. It's not. Yeah, and the adults and the they're starting to speak up. Like, I know there's several, even candidates that I'm working for. Currently, I'm working on three campaigns. Um, and, well, I'm going to be working on a third one soon, but I'm working on two right now. And, and that's what I'm doing. And they're actually against these mass mandates. They're both Republicans. One is actually more liberty-minded Republican. The other one's more of a conservative Republican. And they're actually against these mandates. And they, they're planning on testifying at school boards themselves and talking about why these mandates are terrible for the kids. And the minute the state starts, starts directing these, like impacting these rights of the children, that's when you know they're not going to stop. And they're going to keep doing it, doing it, doing it. Because yes, they can do it on the adults. Like the adults are adults. Like they will, like they'll like somehow get through it. 
But the minute when you start doing it on the kids, you're brainwashing these children to thinking this is normal. But this isn't the, like children need to see people's faces because I realized there was a study about this, that if a child doesn't see like someone's face, then they cannot really understand how to like communicate. They're actively destroying society and they don't care yeah. because they want these rights. So much but when you're selfish, you forget. This, uh, this kind of, this, uh, makes me want to lead into another subject that I wanted to discuss a bit with you, but Chang, yeah. Mark Changizi was a guest we had on before and he discussed this. He's, a uh, part Iranian I know his wife is from Iran and he talked about kind of the similarity between the mask cultists and how it's enforced socially and similarity between say like the hijab or the burqa and certain Muslim countries and I know you're Muslim correct mm -hmm. I'm curious what you think about that and I was also curious you know say how do you reconcile your religious beliefs with libertarianism do you find that they go together or do you find that they contradict in any ways so yeah i mean so number one i don't think headscarves or like hijabs should be mandated at all honestly i'm against what saudi arabia did and i'm against what these muslim countries are doing like they're mandating it like even in pakistan it's a muslim country but they don't even mandate these headscarves they don't care yeah i i agree with that position Personally, and I, I don't i honestly don't think anything should be mandated it should be up to the person the individual oh i think you got caught yeah. a bit for like a second you're a little choppy yeah no i uh i think I agree with that position. And that's also, that's a kind of uh, an outlying position for a Muslim woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, literally, I actually went to Saudi Arabia and that was my first experience of totalitarianism. I went there right before the pandemic hit. I went there actually January, 2020. So that's when it actually came to the fucking US. And I was there and that's when I experienced all this authoritarianism and totalitarianism. It is absolutely nuts. Like you see, all these women like wearing all these headscarves and hijabs and whatever and then there's girls who cannot walk alone and i'm just like like what like i mean it's i mean i appreciate saudi arabia allowing women to finally drive like that's really yeah, that's that really was big. that was huge when they announced that i remember oh that was so huge and you want to know how they did it because girls protested they freaking drove they wanted their rights and that's what students in new jersey need to start doing they need to start protesting against these mandates because take a look if girls in saudi arabia the most totalitarianism and the most authoritarianism country on earth can withdraw their entirely driving mandates then what can we do here yeah. all you have to do is stand up and say no because yeah you're on the risk they're, they're, arrested, they're yeah, in, you might be on the risk they're in way more yeah. too you know for doing that oh it's bad they're it's like so what, bad. what are you going to get a fine over here a dirty look from someone like it's crazy. Like people can't, they, they can't even handle someone telling them to put a mask on. They can't even say no to that. Yeah. It's absolutely ridiculous. Like, I feel like our society has fallen basically because everyone's so soft. They're like, oh my God, what are my friends going to think of me? Like, bro, I lost so many friends due to my rallies. You think I care? I'd rather have one real friend than a whole bunch of fake friends. <laughs> yes. Well said. Amen. Yeah. Amen <laughs> that, for real. Yeah, no, we, Brent, Brent and I have definitely uh, had people cut us off and we've been oh, called shit. them some pretty nasty things and actually the whole name of our show comes from people constantly they were accusing us of dangerous rhetoric dangerous rhetoric every time <laughs> we questioned the mandates you know we had multiple people tell us that what we were saying was dangerous rhetoric so we were just like let's trademark that that's our show now Fuck i love it i love to see it honestly <laughs> you guys are doing the right thing we're trying you know and we we're trying to get as many 
diverse liberty voices that we can on just to show people that like this isn't some like freaking white supremacist type movement like and there and, no. and, and there's yeah. a lot of diversity of thought amongst people who are against the mandates it's not just conservatives and it's not just libertarians you know and there there are a couple democrats and there are moderates liberals and and i've met some of these people too and i think if we could get that perspective across more to folks and make them realize like that this isn't about that for us it's not a left right republican democrat thing it's it's just a freedom thing that i guess the way we can bring like a lot of students together on this which is what i'm going to be trying this semester is that i want to basically take it away not even looking at politics wise but taking a look at personal freedom and what you want to do and the best way to get the left on your side is bringing up pepper spray bans on campus because there's so many girls on campus who are actually anti-second amendment but they don't feel safe on campus at night and they carry pepper spray it never the occurs best way, to them like it doesn't click like hmm, I'm it doesn't click like what hmm, but maybe but you gotta make it click yeah that is a good step yeah i think perhaps that could unlock some doors in people's heads and it might start to click like oh wow when they ban weapons i'm put in danger yeah and that's exactly what we are going to be doing like what i'm doing this semester is sort of doing that like i'm going to be basically working with as many organs as i can and just talk to them and basically go to their meetings and just bring up that topic like yeah there's a huge pepper spray ban on campus guys how do you think about that because Rutgers is right by the freaking hood, so it's very dangerous for young girls. Makes yeah, sense. There's definitely some rough areas over there in New Brunswick, but I don't know, there's some really nice areas too. Um, yeah. <laughs> like I, said, I, pl I played shows over there. There there was once a thriving music scene. I don't know what it's like anymore, but they we don't um, have that anymore. Damn. On that note, it's... I, I wanted to because I never asked about it and it just occurred to me. I wanted to ask, uh, like, what are you majoring and what is your, your focus in university? Yeah, so thank you. So what I'm studying is political science with a minor in public administration. Oh, my God. Um... So shocked. <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> I know. I'm basic. <laughs> Perfect. No, I was kind of what I was expecting, but I was like, it could be some other random thing, too, that has nothing to do with politics. But yeah so that's what i'm studying most of my classes are easy this semester i mean i'm also taking a management course as well that's really interesting so i'm basically taking those courses because management goes into public administration so i basically want to go to law school and i also want to work in politics so as of right now i am still working in politics i'm working on political campaigns because new jersey we're having our 2022 elections coming up for uh, for congress so that's what i'm working on right now Awesome. And yeah, so I do want to go to law school. I don't know what type of attorney I want to be yet, but we'll see. Are they trying to force you to get your booster yet? Yes. <laughs> so my, I, I know a young student who's uh, you know, a daughter of a friend of mine, and she she was in Rutgers actually, and she got unceremoniously dismissed and all her classes dropped. They didn't even warn her, they just sent her an email because she never got any of the shots. Shit. Yeah. Yeah, that's what they do. They even did to online students as well. Like another reason why I'm fighting back is because they did it to online students too. Like if it, like I know there's a student called Logan, Logan Holler. I'm actually good friends with him. So Logan was literally like, yeah. So I got kicked out of my classes because, well, number one, he's an online student, but he refused to get the COVID vaccine because he was online. He's like, what's the point? They still kick you out of your classes. They don't care. I, yeah, that's crazy. That's what I heard too. But 
that just that makes zero sense, man. It makes zero. It goes to show you that this is just about like power. It's a power. Thing. It is. And no the for people that have medical conditions that preclude them or make it more likely that they're going to have a negative reaction to mm-hmm. it's very dangerous. Yeah, we have there are medical exemptions, but I don't know. The booster is different though because they're very, very selective. Like if you already got the COVID vaccine, you have to get the booster. I mean, I got I was very lucky. I got an extension on it, so I got like a hundred to two hundred day extension on it, so I'm good for right now. I haven't I haven't decided on whether or not I'm getting the booster yet. I honestly don't want to at this point because I feel like another thing after the COVID vaccine that I've noticed about my body is that like I have become like my immune system has kind of dropped I've been getting sick more recently like like around November I had bronchitis and then December I had tonsillitis and then I got sick four times a semester and I never get sick that's that's disturbing it is sus yeah i i actually am applying for jobs and i'm in the nannying business and uh, a lot of the um families are requesting that you're fully vaccinated and boosted and it's kind of like procuring my my opportunities for finding employment so it's a lot more slow going even though we haven't even had a sniffle and we broke every rule basically over the last two years (laughs) well yeah there's that so but it's just it's it's really disturbing that like this is where we're at now where like you've they've created this entire like second class citizenry like the unvaccinated yep which is ridiculous because i've had pretty much every vaccine that you you know could have except for the experimental one and uh mm-hmm. i have no interest in it i i actually i have celiac disease so i have like a gluten uh, inflammatory bowel condition and originally i thought this was kind of interesting originally that was a uh, sort of contraindication. So if you had inflammatory bowel disease, they were saying you probably shouldn't get, you know, the mRNA jabs because, you know, the, the potential for complications. <clears throat> when I was applying, been applying for jobs like crazy this past month. And so I called my old doctor where I got that, where I had them do the celiac test. And I was like, could you guys please write me a letter just saying that, you know, because I have celiac disease, uh, you know, it's, it's not good for me to get the jab. Well, they refused and also let me know that that's no longer a medical uh, exemption. So they they changed that at some point in the last, you know, however long it's been um, so that you can no longer use that as an excuse for a medical exemption. And what was, <laughs> it was also like a little like really funny because as I was on, I was on the phone with, you know, one of the secretaries in their office. And she was this older woman and she was telling me, she's like, oh, you know what? That's what I should have did because, you know, I got the job. And ever since then, I've had these little like weird blotches on my skin. She's like, I'm starting to look like Michael Jackson. I don't know what's wrong. She's like, it's really, it's really stressing me out. And she's like, I hope you, I hope you get your exemption. And then the doctor wouldn't do it. <laughs> just like, I'm so sorry. New, York, is- New York City too has been denying them left and right, so holy crap yeah new jersey has been denying people too like i believe that there are like mandates for um vaccinations but like i mean my dad he owns his own private business so he doesn't have to worry about it like he does he makes whatever rules he wants plus he's also a republican um my my mom and my brother they're actually covid vaccinated and now they are basically against the vaccine (laughs) they're like well they're not really anti-vax but they're against the vaccine mandate sorry so they're again mandating it because they're like, yeah, even if I got it, like we have the right to question what we want to put into our bodies. And that is exactly what I've been protesting about. And that's exactly what I'll keep doing. 
in the state because nothing's going to change unless you stand up and say no. But a lot of these students, they're scared and no one knows why. And the problem is, is that they haven't been mobilized to fight yet. Yeah, there seems to be like a major, um, one of the major issues with the people having the, the, the desire to speak out, but the, you know, socially it's sort of like looked down upon. It's, it's, it's seen as, you know, they, 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 they paint it as anti-vax or, you know, conservative when they, they don't want to be lumped into those titles. Right. They're afraid of being called a Trumper or an anti-vaxxer or a whatever. And they're afraid of being thought of. And none of that is legitimate. You're just, you're just, you don't want the government to be able to tell you that you must participate in a, a potentially risky medical experiment, which I think is kind of a basic sort of like we can we should all be able to agree that the government shouldn't be able to come to you and demand that you stick out your arm and we're going to inject you with this thing also who gives a shit about what strangers think of you grow a pair exactly it's hard for young people though like we forget you know especially me i'm older but like the older you get the less you care about what other people think whereas if you're in your teen years or if you're in your shortly post-teen years Social acceptance is very important because this it's is true. part of how you define yourself. By, by the time you hit 30, it's much more likely you've already reached the like general, I don't give a fuck stage. About and for young people like people. you, Sarah, <laughs> who have hit that point of fuck it, I don't care what you think already, you're like well ahead yeah. of the curve. <laughs> yeah, because there's more things to worry about. Like, take a look at the entire country right now. It's a shit show. Like, the entire country is a shit show. We have no criminal justice reform. We have literally nothing being fixed in this administration. I mean, yeah, the good thing is Biden did cancel student loan debt, so I'll give him that. But like, otherwise, everything else is a shit show, and we have bigger fish to fry than fighting on campus. Like, basically, there's so many organizations on campus that hate me right now. There's one that actually put out a statement against me, and they, and actually, the left also. How this ties into Joe Rogan is that they pressured me into releasing a statement to apologize mm. for my rally. Never, and, never do that. <laughs> I never did. I was like, I was like, holy shit! Like, everyone was pressuring me. I had people DMing me. I had people like, like I even got doxxed. I even received a lot of death threats. I was even almost punched on campus. Like it was absolutely batshit crazy. But I never gave in, and that's why I think Joe Rogan should have just not apologized. Because once you bend to the mob, there's no going back. Because once you bend to the mob and apologize, you're giving them access and the ability to keep hurting you. Yeah, there's no there's no negotiating too with folks like that. There isn't. Yeah, because they're just bullies. They're just bored with their lives. They care so much about what people think. But the real people, the real advanced people are actually thinking, hey, they're like, yeah, I don't care what people do. It's their life. Let them do whatever they want. Yeah, we're seeing the same thing almost with the mandates too. It was like, you know, first it was just 15 days to stop the spread. And then, (laughs) you know, just a mask, it's just a mask. And then it was, oh, just an experimental injection, you know, just to make sure that everybody's safe and healthy. And then it was, oh, it's just a booster. Oh, it's just, you know, it's, if you don't stand up and say no and and resist actively and loudly and vocally and and tolerate all of the arrows that they're going to throw at you, like you're just going to keep getting steamrolled and there's going to always be another thing that they're going to push, whether it's socially and coming from the left and, you know, like student organizations like you're seeing on campus, or if it's more macro socially and how we're seeing, you know, Joe Rogan be treated, 
during this like current bouts of character assassination. And what I do think we're seeing, you know, what's assaulting him is a organized character assassination campaign. And I think it's, I, you know, I'll put my little tinfoil hat on for a minute. <laughs> well, so if you look at who owns Neil Young's music or like it, it, they, Neil Young has a connection to Pfizer, which I, when I, when I saw that and found that out, I was like, oh, let me pull that up really what? quick. Wait, wait, I don't even know what happened. Cause I was like working that day and I just see everyone saying, Oh, banned Spotify. I'm like, what? So, so Neil, what Neil, Neil Young wanted Joe Rogan removed from Spotify and he basically gave them an ultimatum to Spotify and he said it's me or him so either what you the remove, fuck either you remove him for his dangerous misinformation or I don't want to be on Spotify and remove my music so they picked Joe and they were like okay and they removed Neil's music and now people are, now now those people who support him are trying to flip it as like oh they're censoring Neil it's like no Neil censored himself because he wanted to try to censor someone else that they didn't want to censor so he was like all right well i'm gonna remove myself from the platform and then you had a bunch of other has-beens like barbara sand and joni mitchell they all want their 15 minutes of fame back so they all sort of chimed in and they they sort of like oh we stand with neil young we think that joe rogan is a very dangerous character and he's Mm -hmm. putting out that information they want it they want to feel relevant and spotify actually had a uh, a dip in their stock price too which i also suspect was coordinated because when you have you know large financial interests like blackstone blackrock etc they have the ability to you know short or target or mess with a a particular stock price by how many shares they are able to buy and sell of it in a short period of time so i found the thing you were talking about brent in regards to neil young so our our friend posted this ramon actually who was our last guest he shared this. Um, here's the headline. Uh, Hypnosis, which is a company, acquires 50% of Neil Young's song catalog for around $150 million. And this was January 6, 2021, right? So not that. Not next that. headline. That's about a year ago. What's the next one? Blackstone and Hypnosis song management launch $1 billion partnership to invest in songs, recorded music, IP, and royalties. Hmm. Blackstone announces appointment of Jeffrey B. Kindler, former chairman and CEO of Pfizer as senior advisor. So it's like not even that many degrees of separation. It's like literally like three degrees of separation yeah. right because like neil young had his music bought by blackstone and no, then blackstone, by hypnosis by hypnosis yeah. okay so there's four degrees of yes. separation and then blackstone and hypnosis song management launched a one billion dollar partnership to invest in certain songs recorded music ip world right so blackstone yes is partnered with them and then blackstone and then announces the blackstone appointment as a yes. former chairman front and ceo you know, of pfizer, pfizer as their senior, senior advisor, advisor. Yep. So lots of uh, <clears throat> interesting connections there. Oh my God. It's yeah. so much drama. I don't care. <laughs> like, right? It's so much fucking drama. Who gives a shit what anyone does? Like, and this is all over like just some guy who has a talk show where he mm-hmm. talks to people. But the thing is, what you have to understand is that Joe Rogan gets like 11 million, average of 11 million views on each of his, his episodes when like cnn's nightly ratings in the key demo is in the garbage they're getting like eighty thousand views tanking like a lot of these like the 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 mainstream narrative bubble is just shrinking it's becoming smaller and smaller there are more and more people that are you know listening to alternatives 
um, that are, you know, like looking into people like Joe Rogan or like Tim Poole or, you know, Stephen Crowder, all these sort of alternative and, and I somewhat right-leaning, you know, Crowder's a little right-leaning. Well, but, Crowder, yeah, I think would fall under. But Poole and, for, as far as I'm concerned, Poole and uh, Rogan are both centrist or leftists because when you, you know, it's like their their actual policy positions are somewhat lefty and, and they're not what we would consider a leftist by any stretch of the imagination. But like when you look at their political beliefs, they, they do tend to lean left. You know, yeah. Joe Rogan, very famously, very big fan of legalization of drugs very he was, he was also a bernie supporter. homosexual rights he's a bernie bro yeah. right exactly so it's it's very strange to see they just stay, they don't like that he's talking to people they don't want him to talk to exactly you know? and, and that is the main out, problem yeah. it is. That is a huge huge problem i because, tweeted oh sorry yeah i tweeted yesterday oh, i tweeted yesterday <laughs> that you know how can you even call like the joe rogan experience the joe rogan experience if he can't talk to whoever the fuck he wants to talk to then it's just the, the curated by spotify experience is what we have now oh my god yeah that is messed up like i don't even know what to say to this it's just like we see this pattern so many times i see it in new jersey i see it everywhere especially with college students if you talk about something they don't like, they will do whatever they can to cancel you. And if they don't get their way, they're going to create a petition to hold you accountable. That's exactly what they did to me. But I was like, you know what? Go fuck yourselves, guys. Like, I have other things to worry about. And I'm not going to apologize for standing up for medical freedom or my rights. Yeah. And if they want to make petitions, all right, you can make petitions too. <laughs> when I'm old, I'm going to, that's the first thing I'm going to tell my grandkids. So once upon a time, I, someone wrote a petition against me <laughs> and 3,000 people fucking liked it. That's hilarious. I was just like, I was laughing a little when I saw it and I was like, oh my God, these people are absolutely ridiculous. And I mean, it was you because- made it, Sarah. You made it. I made it. <laughs> they all hate me. <laughs> Sarah, can I Funny ask thing you, what is your, is that, what is your um, perspective on abortion? Me, I'm pro-life. Pro-life. So like 100%, no excuse, no exceptions. I mean, so yeah, I'm very pro-life. And I like, honestly, like, I do understand when it comes to someone being raped. So I guess that is an exception. Also, when it comes to like harming like the female stuff, like if she has an illness and she cannot hear the child, then I would, then I would understand that. So I mean, I used to be very pro-choice, but I'm actually, I actually been very, I actually lean very pro-life now. Yeah, I think for myself, I used to be very pro-choice, and I think over time, I've kind of moved from being like 100% pro-choice to being more, all right, maybe we should restrict this thing to the first eight weeks, the first 12 weeks, the first trimester, um, just because I feel like, you know, once the baby gets to a certain point, it does become a baby. Like you go kind of like, you know, once you get past that first trimester, once you get into the second trimester developmentally, you start to get a lot of the hallmarks of having an actual like, you know, human organism. Yeah. And so that to me, like, and especially I have big problem with late term abortions, uh, which that's absolute murder. It's, it's murder. Yeah. I agree with you. And it, a lot of times it's also organ harvesting. There's an entire like market in taking uh, human tissue, you know, babies that were killed, you know, fetal tissue and selling it to pharmaceutical and to research firms because they, that stuff is, it's, it's a very limited, uh, it's, it's very, you know, it's, it's limited, you know, you can only get it from this one way and it's, it's very useful in certain types of research and it drives that that value up and so a lot of people don't understand that planned parenthood and other abortion clinics have a whole side gig you know 
let alone for the fact that, you know, they get paid, you know, the women have to pay for the procedure. There's a whole side gig in selling the, you know, the, the tissue afterward. And it's not something that we talk about. It's not something that's looked at or criticized. And I find that to be kind of disgusting in a way. And like, that's kind of what, what really pushes me towards the pro-life perspective. Uh, I don't know. Exactly. I, I was, I guess, like you guys more pro-life-ish, or I would at least have advocated for that position openly when I was younger. You mean pro-choice? Pro-choice. Yeah. Sorry. Pro-choice. And, and I understand where those people come from in the sense of the questions of how much power should the government have in regards to regulating one's body and obviously these issues tie directly into the mandate issues as well it's the same sort of issue so i understand that but the thing about abortion that is complicated is the very real biological philosophical arguments that you are not just dealing with the woman's body anymore you are now dealing with another body inside of that body and where where do the rights of the fetus come in when do we consider what's developing in the woman to be its own individual being that should also be advocated for. So I, I understand the pro-life side because um, you can't dismiss those arguments. You can't just so simply say, oh, well, it's not a, a life. Yeah, it's funny that you if know? you want to use women's bodily autonomy yeah. what as about the argument, baby? it's right. Yes. It's right. So and, it's like, it seems a little hypocritical. Yes. So like, I think that is a legitimate criticism of the pro-choice type people because, you know, they're pro-choice for the woman's body, but that you can't dismiss that very real philosophical problem question that we have to address of the life in the woman and where does the rights of that life come in? And it's exactly so. and another crazy thing that i that i've noticed is that the pro-life movement the pro-life message is actually winning and here's why we have like there was a protest i think back in november or i think early december at, at dc and there was women like taking these abortion pills when when women start yeah, doing that that's, that's how you know that. your the pro-life movement is winning because they have no argument left except to basically ruin their own bodies yeah make a point yeah it was very another thing yeah like another crazy thing was like yeah the pro-choice side is losing because then they switched their narrative since they support vaccine mandates they're like okay um bans off our bodies instead of my body my choice <laughs> right yeah just so they're losing so hypocritical i don't know it's the the abortion issue is probably the most contentious one right now in the country besides the mandates um when we had I know. <laughs> when we had cam on it was one of the subjects we we also talked talked about heavily but you know i like i said i understand both perspectives and where they come from but i feel like the pro-choice people aren't really acknowledging like you said the hypocritical views that a lot of them are holding in regards to the shots but also not not addressing those philosophical arguments about where does the, the rights of the baby come into that and you can't just dismiss that but another thing i wanted to mention too is this focus on abortion as a solution to certain problems that people are, you know come across in their life like they're not financially ready to have a baby or this or that why don't we address the behavior more that leads to that and you know, this is where I agree with Gothics' criticism in her last video where she talked about that. Like, maybe we should be putting a little more social pressure on people to, like, not be slutty so much. Maybe that will help, and then we'll have less abortions. It'll just, there'll be less need for it. Wait, Dan, are you suggesting that we actually, like, <laughs> value human sexuality in a way that makes 
spiritual and holy as well, opposed even to even if you don't view it as spiritual or holy just realistically understand the repercussions of that if you're going to do that if you're going to behave in that way if you're going to have a lot of sex understand and i don't know should we really be just allowing people to have endless amounts of abortions on and on and on every single time they make a blunder and they're like oh i can't raise the baby sometimes it's not even a blunder it's just the thing like it's where, not it's just it's there so where does that stop you know and and should we be advocating for those babies the, those lives that are being lost you can't say it's not a life so and i'm not saying yeah force the woman to do this or do that but they these these women can't keep denying the reality of that like a life growing in you is still a life. And how do you address that? If you kill it, is it murder? You know, that's a legit question. Gothics thinks it is. There are other people who think it is. Um, Sarah thinks it is. Sarah thinks it is, you know, and I think that is a perfectly valid position to take. And I definitely understand why people take that position. I don't know if I'm going to go as far as to call it murder, but man, it is really hard to not call it that. It's also sticky it. because we never had it legislated and debated. We sort of had the, the rule, the law yeah. of the land de facto installed by the Supreme Court, which is a, it's, it's, it's tricky because it's a precedent that sort of ends up like, declaring the law of the land when that's really not what the supreme court's supposed to do like they're they're there to kind of say whether or not legislation is you know uh constitutional or not and because of the way that that case ended up coming out it set this huge landmark precedent and it left us you know where we are today where basically abortion is completely legal across the board without any restrictions um, now, in some places, they have different, like, you know, little restrictions, but generally, that's sort of where we're at right now in the United States. I don't think it would be such a bad thing if we sort of culturally stepped back and had a moment and been like, you know, okay, abortion isn't exactly, it's not, it's not good. We should, you know, we, we should limit it. We should try to uh, restrict it in, in certain ways. Mitigate it in some way where just less of it needs to, to happen. happen, you know? And this is why I mentioned behavior and promiscuity and that sort of thing. We have a very pro-sex culture, yeah. and there's it's interesting that they they kind of surround that sort of that that, that idea in sex positivity. Yeah. When it's like, progressive, Brad. Yeah, well, yeah, but it's just like you know, where does that messaging lead? It leads to you know, and it's uh, it also ties in with empowering women. Like there's this whole messaging that you know it's empowering for young women to have sex for pleasure and to no. be sexual. Well, that's terrible right it, it just seems like the wrong message to send and yet it's it's popular they're uh, very anti-science like i'll tell you this like there is no scientific experiment that confirms that because actually when women have casual sex they're more inclined to get emotionally attached whereas guys don't and then that's how it screws up a woman mentally in fact they're screwing up society because there is absence in i guess like the patriarchy has caused more damage than positivity from what I have seen. Like there is less fatherhood in homes. There's like, there's less of a father role figure. And it all comes down to that. Like these girls, they have like, like they all, they obviously have like, they don't have that fatherhood, like they don't have that father role in their homes. So I guess that's where they act like this. If we actually like start, like stop looking at the patriarchy as a solution to fixing these things, but start looking at like the balance between, I guess, I'm just trying to think, not even feminism, but equality between all these people, then we can actually find a balance here. We can actually fix society. And the reason why we are like, and 
the fault is in society because society is pushing for all these people to basically be pro-sex, pro-this, pro-that. But you're basically not empowering women. You're, you're in fact making society weaker. And that's what we're seeing. It all ties down to what happens in the family, what happens in the home. We need to preserve that. We need I agree. To fix I, I think a lot of this, though, is also like sort of like a, a general reaction to, you know, historically the precedent has always been women were a little more suppressed, right? And I don't think anyone's going to argue with that at this point. And it kind of reminds me of like, say when you have parents who are like too strict and say you're a kid and you grow up with these parents who are too strict and then suddenly you do have freedom and you don't know what to do with it. So you party, 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 and you go crazy. And that that happens to certain kids where they grow up in very restricting households. Suddenly they go off to college and now they're free. They don't have any rules and they do really stupid things because they, they've never had that kind of freedom, you know? And I feel like the LGBT movement is similar. It's like you have all this long history of being oppressed and you there that's wrong. You can't have sex in that way. And the reaction to it now that we can, it's accepted is to rub it in everyone's face and to be like, you know, look how sexual we are and, and how liberating it is. And it's freeing, not realizing it. it's like, no, you just, you put yourself in a new cage in a sense. Well, and also yeah. we have this like, it's like we moved the, like, there was a line where, you know, we like the social acceptance line keeps moving and some people want to erase the social acceptance line entirely. And, you know, I think what we're sort of, uh, you know, agreeing on is that, you know, we think there needs to be, there needs to be a line. <laughs> like There has to be a line somewhere boundaries as to what's socially acceptable and what's not. And I think we, we can also agree that in the 20th century, that line was in the wrong place. But now we've gotten to the point where, like, there are people that want to just erase that line entirely. We have, you know, especially some of the radical LGBT people who wants to push these sort of gender non-binary ideologies onto children. Like, I think this is kind of where we've gotten. And now where we were in the position where our culture was more conservative and that was a problem. And now we've gotten to the point where our culture is far too liberal and yeah, that's a problem it's just they want to tear everything down destroy all the old systems and i think the extreme of each view is is not good like you don't want to be so conservative that you don't allow any room for any change or progress or like maybe there's something that needs to be fixed or adjusted a little but you're just no it has to stay the same we're not going to get anywhere but at the that's same why time liberty yeah. that's why liberty is important like yeah. proposing the ideas of liberty that's important because it's not too conservative not too progressive it's smacked down in the middle saying who cares what you support at the end of the day as long as you don't hurt someone else then it is fine that's what well, liberty is about the flip side though i was going to say is that you, you also don't want to be so like liberal and open and accepting where yeah anything goes everything is fine like oh pedophiles are just as normal and that's their sexuality as as gay men you know there's like brent said the boundary falls away they want to erase the line and it's like no you need a healthy balance i think there are things worth conserving right and there are other things that need some work or maybe there's room to adjust, you know, or progress a little bit. But you don't want to be so conservative that you can't consider any other new things. And you don't want to be so open and liberal where anything goes and you're just like, all right, we're, we're, we're fucking kids now and, and teaching them that they don't have a gender or whatever, you know? <laughs> exactly so that was one of the reasons i think my solo channel got nuked of course <laughs> wait what yeah so I, I had a solo channel on youtube called it's brentley and i did sort of like a tim pool style just you know pull up a story and or you know a couple of different stories and tie them in and talk about it for like you know 15 minutes or a half hour 
And one of the big things that I got started doing it was I was critiquing a lot of the extremes of the LGBT uh, QIA plus K, whatever um, movement. And there were things like drag children. Um, there were things like, you know, people advocating for this, it's called gender affirming, which is the, the new practice towards trans kids. If kids present with gender dysphoria, mm. the old idea was called watchful waiting, where like, if your child presented with gender dysphoria symptoms, you would just, you know, kind of like, you know, take a step back, like see if investigate for trauma, first of all, and see if there was something else there. And if, you know, you couldn't figure out a specific reason why the child felt this way, you would just take a step back and like, wait a couple of years or months and see what happened because nine times out of 10, their dysphoric symptoms would resolve on their own and they'd grow up and maybe they were gay um, or a lesbian. And uh, now we, the standard is now we have no this called, it's called gender affirming. Whereas if the child presents with dysphoric, dysphoric symptoms, you affirm that immediately, immediately, wholeheartedly. You, you can't question, you can't, you know, and, and now it's, it's become this change in the psychological community where psychologists are actually afraid to, to do the opposite. They're afraid to not affirm the gender of, of the child. And it's, it's hurting a lot of kids down into the medical transition pathway. Uh, oh, now we have more debates about whether or not we should be giving preteens these gender blocking or chemical castration chemicals, which will delay or soften the impact of puberty so that when they transition later, they'll have, you know, men will have more of a feminine appearance or, or women will have, you know, biological men and women, they will have an easier time transitioning, so to speak, which isn't even true because if they did like a lot of the times with these children, they put um, puberty blockers, the male to females anyway, they have. Have, uh, they can have a problem with getting the vaginoplasty later because there's not enough tissue because there was no development of the, of the genital tissue during puberty, which would have normally occurred. It's this whole complicated thing, but the long and short of it is I, I did a lot of advocating against those sort of extreme positions and uh, YouTube nuked my channel on my birthday at the end of last year. It was about three months ago. I oh, shit. Yeah, so they, they well that's bullshit i'm was, sorry <laughs> yeah i don't know if you heard there was a gay choir in san francisco that did a video about coming for the children and it was supposed to be sort of this like tongue-in-cheek parody but then it had like this huge outlash and so I, I made a video about that that got reported um and then my my very last video to go up was called joe biden is a sexual predator yeah. so <laughs> well shit they didn't like yeah, that. So they caught him for like bullying and harassment. You're such a big bully, Brent. Yeah, if you go to my my old channel's website to this day, there's a big red band across it. This channel has been terminated for failure to follow our cyberbullying and targeted harassment policy. So YouTube is oh basically a cyberbully and targeted harasser. Yeah, like take a look at all these. Everyone's getting banned on Twitter and YouTube nowadays. Like there is huge censorship that's coming and it has been around. There are so many accounts that are conservative libertarians that have been banned. I mean, my friend Magnus, he and his pin video, um, he basically was banned as well for just tweeting about a video. Wow. And it he got banned. Then there was other people that also got banned. It's absolute terrible yeah, we have a friend my friend dylan dean shout out to dylan dean by the way he's a, a state chair right now for gal he's our montana state chair he actually got banned for um tweeting song lyrics <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> i'm not even kidding when he got banned i was like oh my god they are so sensitive on these was it sites the, uh let's go brandon song lyrics maybe i had to ask him what it was 
there's well there, there, and there's also malicious reporting and, yeah. and people don't seem to understand or at least twitter doesn't seem to understand that people maliciously report you know accounts that they disagree with or they don't like because they're presenting a, a perspective that they don't think you know should be out there like we had our buddy josh slockham from disaffected his twitter account was nuked right around the time when he started getting very uh he started to make very pointed commentary about female style narcissism which it was is- actually right after he appeared on fox oh yeah. interesting so i think oh me personally i was like maybe there's a relationship there but i think like 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 you said, Brent, I think it's it's targeted thing. Like when you start to get attention on you, you're you're gonna get really seriously like dedicated haters that will I don't want to say cyber bully, but they will certainly like cyber stalk to the point where they will look for everything you do to comment on it, to dislike it, to report it. They'll, they'll, they're waiting in the wings for you to slip and tweet something that they can get you for. You know exactly. Like for example, um. They don't really attack y'all anymore on my campus. They attack more Turning Point USA. And it was a picture of me holding up a Turning Point sign. I just posted it. And then the haters, there's one hater that has always been against what we do. He comments on it. He doesn't even follow the account. He just always looks at us. They like these haters, they stalk you and they want to like do everything they can to destroy you. And he's out here defending socialism. Right. All right, dude, go start your own little socialist organization. <laughs> go start your own little socialist yeah. organization. <laughs> no one's stopping you, but maybe your energy would be better spent doing that instead of wasting it hating on, oh you know, God. the other organizations. This is like, it's like one of the red flags of having like a personality disorder or something psychologically wrong with you. If you can't just like let something that you don't like or you don't agree with just be in a space, but you have to attack it and like regularly attack it and viciously attack it, then there's probably something wrong with you in the brain like if you can't just like (laughs) yeah and go do something positive and create like clearly you've got something wrong up in that headspace like on campus also i can't hold up like a yow center or turning point sign without getting looks like these people are absolutely insane like covid broke them mentally they can't take anything that is like somewhat right-leaning or liberty-leaning like to their faces they can't because they're so used to thinking oh i'm right all the time because socialism works i'm right all the time because government overreach works no it doesn't yeah it's a lot of delicacy too it reminds me of the people who like freak out over trump hats it's like i've never seen people get so worked up over a freaking hat you know i've never seen people get so worked up over a socialism suck sign but here we are yeah, yeah <laughs> but, but you know but you can you can fly your hammer and sickle anywhere you want and that's totally fine <laughs> or the, even, that, even though the fist people forget yeah. that the, the blm fist was traditionally a communist symbol and it, you know if we go back just you know a couple of like just in the last hundred years we've had you know, tens of millions dead in the name of communist ideology in Russia and and uh, China. Well, they the they are they're directly taking it from the Panthers, though. Right, yeah. but it's originally it was. Like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, but that's who they directly take it for. Sure, from, okay. from the Black totally. Panthers. Still, yeah, but it's like you know, shouldn't we be kind of looking at the hammer and sickle as similar to the swastika at this point? <laughs> when you, seriously, when you look at all the people who died under Lenin and Stalin, it's like how are we not? why is it that we don't react to that symbol in the same way that people react to the swastika and i think it's just the education system we're not we're not taught about the evils of communism we really aren't you know i like i heard about it growing up and i knew about the red scare and 
granted, you know, I think that was kind of bullshit, but my point is we're not really taught what communism is in depth and we're not taught how many people actually died under those systems. Yeah, definitely. It's a, it's a big problem. There's like, and it's funny because these same people will be, you know, they'll use arguments of how we need to teach the history in order to argue for things like critical race theory. And it's like, you guys don't even use words, right? Like, I don't understand (laughs) these leftists. They, they have no problem just distorting the meaning of language in order to push a perspective and to get you to like to coddle you into agreeing and i think that's the key difference between you know the liberty-minded folk the individualists and the more authoritarian tribalists is that we sort of have a you know consistent lexicon we defend the meaning of words whereas they'll come out and they'll literally invert the meaning of men and women to mean you know like like you know i have a big problem with the phrase trans women are women because it's a contradiction in terms <laughs> it's like because you know, a trans woman is a biological male right. that transitions to become a female it's, uh, it's a trans woman it's trans woman that's the point right that's, that's the whole you... point of saying trans women <laughs> so it's like it's like they're talking out of both sides of their mouth at the same time like you can't even have a discussion because they don't seem to have any sort of respect yeah. for the idea of an objective or universal yeah. truth. We, we want clear definitions or we use clear definitions or ask for clear definitions. And they typically can't give us that. They'll dance all around it. Like, Oh, what's a woman? I mean, what was, who is the one? Uh, what's uh, Walsh? Uh, the hell's his name? Walsh. Matt Walsh. The guy who was oh, um, Matt Walsh. Oh, that, that was just on. Yeah. Debating the trans people on TV. That was just on, that uh, on a freaking, um, Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil. Yeah. Yeah. That was funny. It was a good one. Say they couldn't even define woman. He asked them, "What yeah, is that?" And yeah. they, they just they could not define. They don't know. They, they don't, don't know. know anything. Like, I mean, they know some things, but they don't know exactly what's real science. They don't know the difference between what's real science, what's real, what's fake. They think, "Oh, we can make up all these other terms to define people," but the truth is, you cannot, because you cannot defeat science. And all these people, what they have done since the beginning of the pandemic and long before it was defy science. We don't even know what's real science nowadays. All we can do is trust ourselves. And this is the importance of making your own choices no matter what happens. Yeah. And the I feel new, like... The new normal cultists definitely like overlap with the woke cultists. Yeah. They're kind of the same group, really. It's ridiculous. Like I know there's one leftist who... I mean, she's not really entirely leftist anymore because I've been talking to her and I've been educating her. She <laughs> kind of leans towards the center right now. So... If you educate these people, you can actually change their minds and make them see the other way. Because that's oh. exactly how I started realizing I'm a libertarian. Right. I think a lot, a lot of us made that journey, you know, especially this is one thing you've seen with the whole walkaway movement. People like Mike Harlow and Brandon Straka is yeah. that they, you know, they for most of their adult lives, they were left-leaning, you know, card-carrying Democrats. And then all of a sudden, you know, they start talking to conservatives or moderates. And it's like, you as you're, you're making a lot of sense. <laughs> Not just that, they, they start expressing certain views that they actually think. And, and then, then their they, friends and then they start attacking them. Their, their friends don't agree with those views. And all of a sudden they're, they're cast out from the group that they thought they belonged to because right. they didn't, you know, hold the right opinion or whatever. Yeah, the left exactly. I lost so many friends due to what I stand for. And honestly, I don't care. Because like I said, I'd rather have one or two real friends than a whole bunch of fake friends. Right? Well, you, so, you that's, the, that's the you truth. Mean, you meet new people, you know, you, you met do. us, you know, we met you. It's the same with this show, you know, since, <laughs> since all the stuff that happened to us and the people who cut us off and it, it sucked, you know, and some of it still hurts. You know, there are a few people who they really hurt, but just through the show and being more outsp- outspoken, being more true to ourselves, we've just met so many other new people who 
are open-minded. Are based in Austin, yeah. like yourself. Are, are actually diverse, <laughs> meaning, meaning diverse in the sense where it's not a forced thing. They're actually different, unique, individual people. We just have similar values in the sense that we agree with discourse, right? Open discourse, freedom of speech. And we agree with people being able to make a choice for themselves, especially medically. And I think just aligning on all of that is enough. And we've made so many new friends from it, so... Yeah, very much appreciate your work, Sarah, fighting yeah. the good. Thank you. I, I, guess we'll <laughs> I, I appreciate what you guys do too. Wrap it up here. We're at almost like I wanted to ask. Hours. I want to ask Sarah, do you have any predictions? Where do you think this whole thing is going? Do you think by the time that you graduate that these mandates will be seen, you know, historically as a as a huge mistake and that people will be over it? Or do you think what's good things are gonna get worse and we're gonna see more sort of communist style totalitarianism okay. coming? I mean, it all comes down to who wants to fight and who wants to stand up, especially in these blue states that we're seeing. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's also authoritarianism rising in red states as well. Like there are some rhino governors who- I just saw who, a book burning before yeah. the show, like in Tennessee, like there was a book burning someone organized or burning Harry Potter and Twilight and shit. I'm like, That's, we're bringing that back? Like, come on. Oh my God. It's, they're, they're going back to the 1600s, but like- I honestly don't know because if we don't stand up, we won't get anything done. I mean, honestly, by the time I graduate, I hope these people see as these mandates as a big mistake, but they have fooled the entire society. Like society is starting to collapse if we don't fix it soon. And the only way to fix everything is by standing up and saying no. Like if we take a look at the 1960s when um, when basically when basically African-Americans are standing up for their rights and civil rights. That's how things changed. When we started seeing like like women in Saudi Arabia, the most authoritarian country on the planet, like go against the driving rules, that's when things changed. If we don't stand up now, we're not accomplishing anything. So I really hope things start changing once I graduate or like start changing now. But honestly, we can hope what we want, but if we don't fight, we're not gonna get anywhere. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Be the change that you wanna see in the world. Always yeah, be the change point. if you want to see in the world. And like, honestly, like, I, yeah, I may not be with Young Americans for Liberty anymore, but I wish like them, I wish them the best of luck because they are a great organization. Like, that's what we need. And I also wish my successor, Danny Logic, like he, he's honestly one of the best. Like, I find the best people to become state chairs and he's honestly one of the best and he's going to be carrying on the fight for Yao within um, New Jersey while I basically take on the entire state with what I've learned awesome good yeah. well we wish you luck i'm thrilled honestly i'm just i'm so glad to see that there are some young people in my home state standing up fighting yes yes we commend yes i think it's <laughs> awesome the new jersey power brave and thanks thanks for talking to us where can people find you oh sure so i'm usually tweeting nonsense on twitter <laughs> <laughs> so um my twitter is liberty Razi, and i also Razi. have an yeah, that you could put you could drop my handle if you want. Yeah, I'll put it in the description. Yes, we'll put all that in there. Do you have a website, anything like that, or you're just tweeting shit for now? Um, I do Twitter, I do um Instagram. So I basically my Instagram is Sarah.Razi underscore. Gotcha. Yeah, I found you the other day. I added you. Yeah. <laughs> I saw sucks though, man. It is so like they're worse with the shadow banning and censorship than Twitter. They're terrible. Yeah, I also use Facebook, not really on Facebook. And yeah, I will 
honestly, this week we're launching our fight against the state doing the statewide mask mandate. So stay tuned. I'll probably announce it on Twitter. Yeah, cool. We'll have to have you on for a follow up episode. Can't wait to see all the pictures. Updates. All right, Sarah. Thanks for joining us. Um, thanks for watching, everyone. Like, comment, sub, all the cool shit. Do all the things. Thank you. Later. <laughs> Peace.